Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. This episode is brought to you by the Pharmaceutical Industry Fellowship Program at Pfizer. Learn more about their available positions in medical affairs, clinical development and operations, and field medical outcomes and analytics at the link in the show description. Applications are accepted through the Rutgers Application Portal. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the IPHO podcast. We're joined by Iram Hassan. Um, Iram has worked in the industry for over 10 years from medical affairs to her more recent transition to regulatory as Senior Manager in Regulatory Therapeutic Sciences. She serves as the Fellowship Director for the Global Regulatory Affairs PharmD Fellowship Program, an accelerated industry training program for PharmD graduates. She's passionate about being a contributor to UCB's patient value strategy in both her work in bringing novel medicines to the patients UCB serves and in developing top talent to do the same. Iram, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Excited to be here. So maybe um, if you can kind of talk our listeners through a little bit more of your background, we actually did fellowship program at the same time. Yes. So um, how did you uh, arrive at the decision to do a fellowship and kind of how did you get to your current position? Sure. So I would say my career path in industry is probably a little bit more on the unconventional side. I quite literally stumbled upon the Rutgers fellowship program at a career fair right before ASHP mid-year, my P4 year. Um, I had full intentions of applying to residency programs throughout pharmacy school. And as I was leaving this career fair, I saw the Rutgers table and I picked up a brochure and I was like, oh, what's this about? I had no idea of the world of fellowships and industry. Ironically enough, both my parents actually work in industry, but <laughs> it's one of those things where you, you know, if you have a mindset, I'm not going to do what my parents do without necessarily understanding what that's about. So I never re even ventured thinking that that would be a career path for me, but it was definitely intriguing. Um, you know, I had met an MSL uh, during my time in pharmacy school thought it was a really fascinating role. Um, I love to teach. I love to present. And I thought, what more perfect job opportunity than being having that opportunity to do that on a day-to-day -day basis with clinicians? Um, so I knew a little bit about that, but that was really the extent of my understanding of what PharmDs could contribute to industry. So I headed off to mid-year and I was like, well, I'll apply to this fellowship program and I'll do you know residency programs. And I was literally running between showcase and the Rutgers table. And again, completely ignorant, had no idea of the world <laughs> that the Rutgers Fellowship Program embodied at mid-year. Um, you know, I applied for a few programs, was told that I'd get, I got selected for a second interview. I was like, okay. Then a third interview, I was like, all right, this is interesting. And then these receptions and on-sites and 
Um, I mean, I think had I known how intense the whole process was, maybe I would have been a bit more stressed out. But because again, I had no idea. It was it was a fun, seamless experience from that perspective. So um, basically, long story short, I got an offer and had to make a decision. You know, residency match wasn't until March. I got my offer in January. And I thought to myself, industry definitely provides a lot of opportunities to pharmacists. I could do a lot of different things and why not take a chance? So I let go of the residency plans and went the fellowship route and have been extremely happy with that decision that I made. I, I want to jump in here because I relate to you so much. Okay. I, I, I had a similar experience. And so whoever's listened to earlier episodes has heard me talk about the fact that I did not know about fellowships and it could have been my own fault. Um, but I didn't know about fellowships until right before mid-year. And I was <clears throat> on the on the residency track. And when I went to mid-year, I went all in on both. And I was a madman bouncing between the two. And I had no idea what they entailed. You talk about the receptions and the different yeah. interviews and all. I, I I just relate to your your response here so much. Um so you you went into fellowship, completed your program. It was in medical affairs, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're in regulatory affairs. So let's talk about what happened in between when you completed your fellowship in uh, medical affairs to now. So I did, you know, when I was in medical, again, um, I, I thought this was, this was it. I had no intentions of, of, of making a switch. Um, I think what I have found out about myself is that I'm very adaptable and flexible and willing to learn, you know, and, and venture into uncharted territory, if you will. Um, so I wore many hats in medical. I was an MSL. I did med info. I did medical training. I did med strat. Um, um, majority of it at UCB. And at some point during that tenure in medical, um, there was a couple of folks within UCB that reached out to me because they had wanted to start a fellowship within the Global Regulatory Affairs Group, and they knew when I, I was an alumnus of the program. So through that experience of developing this fellowship program for them, I learned more about regulatory. Um, you know, to be honest, when you're in medical, you don't necessarily touch the regulatory strategy piece much at all, right? You, you're exposed to your advertising promotion or labeling colleagues through promotional review, but not much beyond that. So it was a whole new world for me. Um, I was really intrigued by it. I wanted to learn more. Um, I actually had tried to set up a rotation for myself within regulatory to see what those opportunities look like. You know, that didn't pan out, but there was a job opportunity that became available. And I, I took, I took that opportunity and I'm extremely happy with that transition. Um, I think I really found my, my, professional calling, if you will, um, on the regulatory side of things. I really enjoyed what I did in medical, but again, you know, there's a, a whole new level of skills and, and challenges that have come along the way. And it's been, a, it's been a great journey. So I, I would say for the listeners out there, again, my journey has been very unconventional from pursuing a fellowship and, and making that, that I would say somewhat of a dramatic switch, but I had folks who took a chance on me, and, and I'm grateful for that. And now a message from a sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Northeastern University, which is a global experiential research university built on a tradition of engagement with the world, creating a distinctive approach to education and research. At Northeastern, students are encouraged to become engaged, confident, and resourceful global citizens who realize their knowledge and actions have a far-reaching impact. The Northeastern University Fellowship Program provides a dynamic academic environment, offering fellows the opportunity for a wide breadth of experiences. Be sure to check out their information in the link in the episode description. So, you know, one of the most common questions I get from students or fellowship candidates is, you know, should I only be applying to positions in medical or only be applying to positions in regulatory? And you've done, you know, a a number of different things in medical. You've been an MSL. Some people spend their whole career as an MSL. Some people spend their whole career in medical information. And you've done all these different things in medical. You've made a switch over to regulatory. So what is your answer to a student or a candidate who might ask, like, do I need to, you know, go in only applying for, you know, one type of fellowship and one therapeutic area? What would you say to folks like that? I would say it's okay if you don't know. I mean, there's just, there's absolutely no way you can know as a pharmacy student, unless you've been interning every opportunity you can get in these different areas. And if you've had that opportunity, then you're, you know, that's kind of one in a million chance. And I think by that point, maybe you you will be a little bit more well-informed, but for the majority of students, they don't have that experience. It's okay to not know. It's okay to apply to different functional areas. I say that to candidates that apply to our fellowship program. Hey, and I ask them that question. I mean, I want to know what their interests are. Um, and by the way, we find out one way or the other. So be honest when you're asked that question. Um, but, you know, because I was in the same boat, you know, I've, I've done different things. Um, you know, what the um, head of global regulatory affairs, she's the one who took that chance on me. What she's identified was that you come with a set of competencies that are transferable, right, from one functional area to the next. Um, And especially as pharmacists, right? I mean, we work in so many different career paths. You do rotations in so many different areas. And I think students should really take a step back and reflect upon that and think, wow, I am able to shift and adapt and move from one area to the next. So in that vein, it's just as okay to look at multiple areas within the actual industry itself, because the critical thinking, the communication skills, problem solving, these are all things that are applicable to whatever functional area you choose. Um, And also just be open-minded. You may do your fellowship in one area and, and end up in a completely separate area later down in your career. And those also happen to be the things that, you know, if, you know, candidates ask all the time, um, you know, what are the things that program directors and, you know, folks that are interviewing you look for? Well, you know, those are some of the things that you just highlighted, I think, are core competencies, skill sets, not that you'll have them mastered, you know, as a, as a student, but that you'll at least have some awareness of, of where you stand and, you know, can articulate solid examples of that. I'm also curious to get your thoughts on, you know, last year was a bit crazy with with COVID and going through the recruiting cycle for fellowships um, for the first time doing that all virtually. What did you learn from that, you know, last year? And what modifications have you made to your recruiting process for this year um, to account for the fact that much of it is going to be virtual again? So I will say actually with that, Sergio, our program is a little bit more unique in that we don't recruit at mid-year. 
we only recruit, so we're an IPHO partnered fellowship. So we recruit through their fellow match portal. It's how we've done it for the last few years that we've been around for. Um, and what that involves is students applying through the portal. We phone screen them and then we select our top three after the phone screens for an onsite. Um, and what we've done is that we give offers actually prior to mid-year um, to just, you know, get a competitive advantage from that perspective. So the only main thing that really shifted or changed for us is that instead of doing a physical onsite, we did a, a virtual onsite. Um, our fellow did like a virtual walkthrough of the building and, um, you know, everything was handled through through teams. So, um, you know, we didn't actually get to physically meet the candidate. Um, so that was lost on us. But, you know, the components of mid-year, like the reception and those um, high pressure environment, that's not something that we've participated in yet. So um, that much did not change for us personally. Um, and again, we're following the same process this year. We won't be doing physical on-sites just to you know, maintain the safety of our candidates. Um, but hoping by next year we can we can shift back. And I, year after year, we do consider mid-year as a as an option for us. But we've been able to secure such high talent so far that the process we have with IPHO has worked. And we're like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So yeah, it sounds like you were ahead of the curve a little bit. On that, so. Probably. I mean, um, again, it, it's been a, it's it, it's always a decision we revisit every single year because I you know I was on that side as a interviewee and interviewer the excitement is palpable it's a great process to go through um but a lot of it is we're a smaller program we're not as well known as some of the other bigger ones um in the country and if we can secure top talent prior to mid-year we'll we'll continue with that strategy (laughs) sure why not right right and and we've talked about uh, the ucb approach um as well as a little bit about uh, fellowship and whatnot, but as your as your new fellows are approaching mid year as first time interviewers, what are some of the ways that you help to prepare them and and kind of shape their mindset for searching for your next uh, talented group of fellows? Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Um, you know, this is actually the first time our fellows are involved in their interviewing process. Um, so it, they're, they're learning as we go with this. Um, they're, they're starting to phone screen candidates. Um, you know, I provided them a template of questions that I typically ask, you know, things to look out for. The biggest thing for them is making sure that they fit the profile of what we're looking for. I mean, we, we alluded to some of the characteristics, um, but, you know, they know the company culture at this point. They also have to make sure that the candidate is a good fit for use for the UCB team, the UCB environment. So um, that's really what I coach them to, to look for. Um, you know, and we have regular meetings to assess their assessment, if you will. Um, and I tell them, okay, you know, you all don't have to be that hard about certain things like formatting the CV or, um, you know, the, the main things that we look for is leadership Um you know, how do they express themselves in their letter of intent? You know, what do they know about our company? What are they saying that they're going to bring to the table? What is their, how personable are they in the phone screens? Um, and, and what is the connection like? You know, I think a lot of times you kind of get this gut feeling, right? If a person is a good fit or not, it makes a, the selection process that much easier. 
you, you hit on a, a few interesting things there. Um, and I, I just want to reflect on it for a minute. So the first was, it's not all about, you're, you're not as focused on the format of the CV and people take a lot of time to make sure that is immaculate. Um, and for a lot of students, this is the first time they've ever created a CV. And every, every university offers support. People, uh, there are services for helping people prepare their CVs for the first time, uh, first time review. But you talked about leadership which is often a function of what experiences a student may have. But you really hit on a lot of the intangibles, the, the characteristics of an individual who you believe will succeed, the way they present themselves. The, uh, something you said earlier about communicating almost uh, honestly and transparently. So it's, it's a good lesson in, for anyone who's listening about what it what you're looking for as fellows and it's something that's come across in other conversations we had we've had over the last few months the intangibles um it's it's not always about uh the way something is written but the way you present yourself the way that you, the honesty i think our, our last guest veronica talked a lot about being yourself and you said earlier it shines through when you're not right right um i mean there is such a thing as over preparing too right i mean we've been, we've seen candidates that they almost sound like they're rehearsed. Um, and that, I think that authenticity piece is extremely important and essential. Um, you know, it's completely normal to be nervous, right? But, you know, be confident in what you're bringing to the table um, and, and make sure you express that, right? Because every person has something, that intangible piece, right, that's unique to themselves, um, and, and don't shy away from sharing that. Um, don't shy away from sharing the knowledge that you gained about the company or the passion that you have about the area that you're applying for. Because if you're not interested or you're not really passionate, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you can read it on their face, right? You can read it in their body language. Um, so those pieces are all really important. The other thing that I try to you know, tell candidates, you know, because we, we get so many questions about, well, what are you looking for? You know, what are the things that matter to you as, as an interviewer? Um, and, and my advice to a lot of them is, you know, you're also interviewing us as companies and as programs, and you're trying to find the right fit for you in terms of company culture, about who your preceptor is going to be. That's, you know, I, I say that it's the single most important determinant of whether you're going to have a successful fellowship program is who is your preceptor? What is their approach to training and, and developing you? Um, and, I, and I would hope that, you know, for those candidates who are listening, we're going to be approaching the mid-year cycle this year, take time to reflect on what it is that you're looking for in a company and in a preceptor and in a mentor. That's so hard though, because when you're in that position, you're you're really pushing just to get there. And, and, but as you think about all the advice that people give over time, you know, you get advice from over here and over here and you know that not everyone looks for the same thing. And, but as a, as a candidate, you're looking for someone who's going to take you on and continue to train you and grow you. But it's very hard to take on that perspective of it's okay if they don't, if you, the two, the two, you and the program or you and the, the interviewer don't mesh. There's, that's, that's why there are so many options out there. And not every program's built the same way, right? I mean, our program, for example, it, it's on the smaller side. Um, the people that have applied for our program are those that are comfortable in working in that type of environment where it's not a giant fellowship class of 20 people, right? Where there is a little bit more of an expectation that you 
are there to build the, the, the program itself, right? We laid the foundation, but these are fellows that are charting the way for future fellows versus programs that are much more established for, you know, 20 plus years. Um, so I think from that perspective, Alex, you really have to, the candidates have to ask themselves, right? Or, and ask the right questions to the people they're interviewing with to understand if they are the right fit for that company. Um, and you have to, you know, apply to many different types of programs and learn through that experience, right? Don't shut out, don't close any doors. Um, you want to keep as many opportunities open for yourself, but you also, you know, want to be selective as well and make sure that you will be happy with where you're going. Yeah. There's so much growth that occurs just through that interview process. I remember at the conclusion of my interview uh, cycle, when I was interviewing for fellowships, I, I sat back and I went, i feel much more prepared for every other job interview <laughs> I'll ever have. It's a common reaction to going through mid-year. I think. Right. It's like, it can't possibly be harder than this. Um, and to some extent that's true because I, you know, every other position I've gotten subsequently, I didn't feel like I had to go through, you know, three rounds in an onsite yes. and get three letters of recommendation. <laughs> right. You know, it is a little bit um, protracted, but in a way I think that does prepare people. It's good preparation. Very yeah. well. Um, you know, and I, you know, just going back to the the questions that fellowship candidates can ask of us during interviews, I, I think I've mentioned it on previous episodes, but some of the most memorable interviews I've ever had with candidates were those where they had a really, really incisive question or something insightful, you know, at the very end where, you know, I had some candidates looking through, you know, my CV, they looked through the, the LinkedIn profile for each of the members of a panel interview. Um, and were prepared with a really insightful question about each of their careers or what they're currently doing, you know. Um, and I was like, wow, that took some like real preparation and a real commitment to, to trying to understand the team that you're going to be working with potentially. Right. I mean, I think the extra credit questions that I'm using air quotes <laughs> are the ones that, you know, you, you touch upon maybe the current regulatory landscape, what's happening with FDA and, you know, the most recent case of Adahelm, for example, or you're, you're looking at those, you know, sociopolitical landscaping and trying to understand what does your, com how does your company feel about diversity and how are they planning to recruit more people of color, right? I mean, these are really great questions that I've got from candidates and those candidates stood out for me, right? Versus the ones that just asked kind of like the standard questions of, well, when can I expect a response? What is your timeline, right? I mean, all fine questions, but the ones that are very um, introspective are, I mean, it, to me, kind of it, a light bulb goes off on me is that this is a curious person and curiosity is definitely something that we value in a fellowship program. This episode is brought to you by the Eli Lilly and Company. Their Visiting Scientist Fellowship is a highly respected pharmaceutical industry-based program which has developed competitive and marketable industry professionals since 1994. Check out their brochure for all the functional areas covered during this fellowship in the description. So um, I'm wondering if you have, you know, maybe as a, you know, our last question here, a, a piece of advice, you know, one piece of advice for candidates, you've given a lot already, but if mm -hmm. there's something that you haven't touched on, um, and maybe one of the most common pitfalls you see, one of the most common mistakes that candidates make going through mid-year. Oh, gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> one piece of advice. Um, I, I think we touched upon it already, you know, in, in terms of the authenticity piece, um, you know, 
be yourself, you know, don't, don't be afraid to be candid. Don't be afraid to be, to, to, to share like some raw experiences that you've had through fellowship. Um, you know, people really appreciate that. Again, the, the over-preparedness and the over-rehearsed is the extreme that you don't want to fall into. And on the other hand, you don't want to seem like you didn't prepare at all, right? I sometimes throw out a question of, you know, what are your, what do you consider your top three strengths? Not because it's a, it's a question that I, it, it is an important question that I want to understand the, the candidate's response to, but it's more just to see, okay, this is a standard interview question. And if you don't, if you can't answer that, and if you're stuttering over it, that means that you're not prepared. You're not one who goes into these situations prepared. So it's kind of like my test question, right? So again, I mean, I would say that's, that's really it, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to be yourself and, you know, also come prepared um because it 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 can we can see right through it (laughs) if you're not if you're just thinking on the fly um you know what i do personally for job interviews is i i think of like those common questions and i come up with a few examples per question that way when you get that question you know all right difficult person got it (laughs) um you don't have to really sit there and think about it so i would say that would be my my advice to the, to those that are listening and planning to apply this year. Well, it's been, uh, Iram, thank you for taking your Friday evening. Um, It's been a pleasure getting to know you because up until this point, we, the three of us have not, have not met, although it seems like the, the the two of you reconnecting. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) But um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, it sounds like you're you're already rocking and rolling for the UCB recruitment cycle because you're far ahead of the game as we all adapt to uh, adapt to this virtual environment for interviews. So, but thank you very much for taking the time and, and please come luck. back soon. We'd love to have you back on the show at some. Point. I would love to. No, thank you guys for having me. I'm as you can tell, really passionate about the fellowship program. I'm, I'm so glad that you know, I think all of us have, have been through the process and we're able to give back, right. And, and really cultivate that next generation of industry pharmacist leaders. So, so super happy to be here and would be excited to come back in the future. This episode is brought to you by the AbbVie Fellowship Program that aims to provide exceptional biopharmaceutical industry training with a broad exposure within immunology and other therapeutic areas. Learn more about this program as you prepare for a fulfilling career in the pharmaceutical industry. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. You can also visit us on the IPHO website to provide feedback and learn how to get involved. Please do it because we need your help. Until next time, take care and stay safe.